Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. So uh, my subject today uh, is just kind of a subject about second chances, rededication, um, starting new. You can, you can probably call that a lot of different things. You know, there's, there's times in our lives when uh, we have, you know, we get a new car, we get a new house, we, we, we get married, you know, there's all these new kind of new things that happen. Um, we're not really going to be talking about that. Uh, we're going we're gonna to focus on more of a, of a relationship starting anew, uh, where we as Yahweh's people um, and followers of Yahshua, where we make a conscious decision to rededicate ourselves and try harder, push harder, think about what we're doing, and, you know, take control of our own household. Um, I guess my point in some ways is everybody will come to a place in their lives where they'll have to ask themselves a very basic question. It's, will I follow Yahweh? Will I accept salvation through Yahshua? Or will I continue down this other path, this other path, the other path that follows the world, that seeks worldly goods, that seeks worldly fame? And there's a few things I believe hold us back from choosing uh, the path that, that leads to salvation. I think one of those things is, is a fear, right? It takes a certain amount of commitment to kind of take that first step. I mean, uh, Stephen, Stephen Covey kind of talks about it a little bit. Uh, he thinks that a lot of times people hold back and they don't do what in their heart they know they should do because there's always this social, social uh, bounds that are, 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 that are around them. Maybe, they're, it's, maybe it's their friend group, maybe it's, maybe it's this, but they're just, you know, that people ask themselves, Oh, if I, you know, I've, I've, I've done some things in the past that weren't maybe the greatest things. And, and now I kind of got to make up my mind. And what are my friends going to think? Will they still like me? Will they still invite me over? Like, how does this work? You know, it's kind of the same thing that I think a lot of us go through, or I did anyway, in that whole, when you get baptized, you, you think about, oh man, you know, this is a public commitment. It's kind of, you're stepping out there. You're you're, you're, you're taking a step. So that's one thing that can hold us back from time to time in, in, in rededication and putting on the armor of Yahweh and stepping out is we can have this, this, this fear that comes in lots of different ways. A lot of times it's our past. We have such a checkered past. We're like, ah, you know, I don't know. I've done a lot of bad things. I don't feel like, you know, I don't feel like this is, this is really for me. I'm gonna just kind of, just kind of play it cool. Um, And then there's just this part that uh, I think we all deal with, just a simple part of rebellion, right? The carnal nature of us as humans, the thing that started way back in Genesis, it's just that that rebellion nature. It's like, you know, we all have this this thing that we kind of want to do what we want to do, right? We don't want, we don't want anybody really telling us what to do, right? So I think that's a few of the things that may, may hold us back, but um, 
And you may not have experienced all those things, but I feel like I've experienced each and every one of them and deal with them all the time. Uh, and when we, when we read the Bible, there's so many stories in the Bible that speak to the fact that, that Yahweh uses people that have words. And one of the reasons I think he does is, is every, a lot of the people in the Bible, maybe almost all the people in the Bible, they have things, they have ups and downs in their lives and swings and highs and lows and, and life happens. Yeah. Uh, and Yahweh has to use those people. And the one thing about Yahweh that he's done for us, when you're reading the Bible, you realize that there's, there's, there's pros and cons to being written about in the Bible. Uh, the pro is you are, everybody knows who you are. You, I mean, you know, hey, we all know David. We all know Adam, right? But there's a con because when Yahweh, when you're in the Bible, it appears to me that Yahweh doesn't hide anything on your behalf. He kind of just says, hey, here's how it went down. Here's what happened. The greatest guys that we look at, look at Adam. Adam, the father of man, he started, he had this great thing going on. He's in the Garden of Eden. Like, it doesn't really sound like he's even having to do much work. There's no sweat on the brow kind of deal. And he's rolling along. And then Eve, uh, his helpmate, brings him, this, brings him this apple. And then he willful, willfully eats of the fruit and sets this course through history, through time, that all mankind, now we deal with it, right? So, and that, and that was Adam. Like, Adam, the father of man. He has these low points as well. And then you read about his kids, right? Adam didn't come up with this perfect family. He started out in this perfect environment, but his kids, Cain and Abel, and there's all this stuff going on. And then, you know, Cain kills Abel. I mean, that's, talk about airing your dirty laundry. That is, that is like kind of out there for the world to see. And then we look at Abraham. Abraham, father of Israel, you know, a forefather. Like everybody loves Father Abraham. And, and he was a great man. But there was a few moments that got a little awkward for Abraham. He was there and he was telling his wife, who was obviously very beautiful. And he's telling her, hey, tell him I'm your brother. Tell him I'm your cousin. You know, it seems, seems like we all have the moments that maybe we wouldn't want the world to see. Even to Abraham, Yahweh, Yahweh knows. Yahweh lays it out. He gives us, for us, it's a blessing. Abraham may not have, he's like, well, there's maybe another story you could have put in there besides the one I was telling my wife to tell him I was her brother. And then David, David's on the rooftop. He sees Bathsheba and it sets his whole life in array. Like David has all these great things, but then there's that one mistake that he makes that we all know, we all read about. And then there's Samson. Samson took the Nazarite vow. Big, strong Samson. Got all this great hair. I don't know how that feels, but some people do. And Samson knew. He's got all this great hair. It's a sign of his strength. It's great. But Samson has all these human problems, all these things that are going on in his life that show the warts. Show the warts. And then there's Peter. Joshua's a great apostle. I mean, he's in, he's in my top my top group there. And you got Peter and Peter said, and, and Yahshua tells him, Hey, you know, I know you say you love me and all this, but you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, I'm not doing that. And then we quickly read. That's exactly what he did. I'm saying all that to say this. 
that Romans 3.10 says, there's no one righteous, no, not one. We've all have things in our past, in our things that we can allow to hold us back. We can build monsters in our mind and we can use our past to stop our future. Acts 4.12 says, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Yahweh loves us so much. He sent his only begotten son to die for our sins. Now, we know that. If you're in this room, you know that. It's up to us to accept that, to take that, to use that. One day, we're gonna stand in front of the throne and have to give an account on what we did and how we did it. And what we, I think what we all wanna be able to say is like, I've got some past that I need to, that wasn't the greatest, that I wouldn't want written about. But at the same time, I shrugged off. You've heard the Atlas Shrug movie. You, one day you just shrug it off and you're like, okay, I'm starting from here and I'm going that direction. And we're going to read a little bit about that. We're going to read a little about that. <clears throat> so if you would turn to Genesis 35, verse 1, we're going to talk a little bit about Jacob and we're going to start at the end of Jacob's story. And then we're going to kind of backtrack. But I think it's a key time to talk about this. So if you would turn to Genesis 35, and we'll read um, just the first five verses. Then Yahweh said to Jacob, go to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to Yahweh, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and, all, and to all who were with him, get rid of your foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to Yahweh, who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had on, they had on the ring, all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak of Shechem. Then they set out and the terror of Yahweh fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. What we're looking at here is we're looking at a father who saved his family. We're looking at a father who said, okay, enough's enough. Give me all these idols. And it was a little different back then. Their, their family structure was probably larger than the typical American you know, family structure. Um, but there is a little bit of a history in the family of Jacob with, these, with this idol thing. But it, he's, he's, at some point, Jacob says, enough's enough. And he saves his family. Oliver Cromwell was a British statesman. And, you know, before Instagram and the iPhone, you would, if you were somebody, you would have your portrait taken, right? So you would have, you would sit there for however long and they would paint a portrait of you. Well, then uh, they had filters too. So the portrait guy, whoever was painting it, he would, you know, if you, if you know, had one eye that looked over here and one eye that looked up there, he would kind of fix it for you a lot of times on the old portrait. You know, that was, their, that was, the, that was the original version of a filter. There's nothing new under the sun. So Adam Cronville, though, when they painted his picture, he said, I want you to show me as I am with all the warts. And when we read, sometimes we're reading this fascinating story of Jacob, 
we're seeing that, that this, there were some things that maybe there was, there were some warts here. <clears throat> but I want to, I want to, and I'm going to go back to this a little bit later, but I want to keep referencing. But it's, but in 35, just remember, Jacob shrugs off and says, okay, give me your idols. This is, this is over. And if you, and you read in five, in four and five, it says in verses four and five, it all, it talks about how suddenly like all the countries didn't pursue him. All the people, the people they were walking through and all these people, they were afraid of him. When you put on the armor of Yahweh, when you go a direction and make that choice, suddenly like you don't have to, you don't think you have to say a lot. Like they're going to see it. They're going to see it. Okay. So just think about this, the story of Jacob and his birthright. I mean, for me, when I read that story, it's a little, it's a little odd how he got the birthright. And I don't know if that was, if that was a cultural thing, if that was kind of how it was done, like you could sell it all the time or what, but you know, he comes in, Esau comes in and he's saying, man, I'm starving, brother. I'm starving here. I'm going to need you to give me something to eat here. You know, and, and Esau is a strong guy. So if he's in that kind of shape, Either he doesn't put a lot of value on his birthright or he's in bad shape. And, and Jacob kind of is like, you know, okay, time to negotiate here, right? It's a little odd story. You would seem like a brother would just kind of say, oh, oh my, let me get you some food. But he didn't really, he kind of negotiated this birthright thing. And then you see, uh, we'll turn to, turn to Genesis uh, 28. Let's turn to Genesis 28, and we're going to read a, a quick story here. Genesis 28, verses 12. So, so he does the whole birthright thing. He gets, his, he gets the, the blessing from uh, Isaac, and then his mom's like, hey, your brother is not a happy camper. You need to go find your, your uncle Laban. And, and, and I'm not sure anybody really wants an Uncle Laban, but maybe, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, she sends him off to find Laban, right? And on this journey, Jacob has a vision. So, um, ver, okay, so unless I, I may have confused you guys, Genesis 28, verse, we'll start at 12. And he had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of Yahweh were ascending and descending on it. And behold, Yahweh stood above it and said, I'm Yahweh, the Elohim of your father Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants shall also be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So Yahweh makes Jacob a promise. And if you're Jacob, I mean, you're out on this, you're trying to find where Laban is because, you know, and you're going through this, this unknown land and you have this vision. That is, if there's any ever going to be something that should set the course of your life, it's that. And I mean, the most part it did. Um, but, and if you, we'll just jump down to verse 20, 
So, so Jacob, anyway, Jacob makes an altar, and then, but we, we need to kind of move along pretty quick. But uh, so verse 20, it says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if Yahweh will be with me and will keep me on this, on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and return me to my father's house in safety, then Yahweh will be my Elohim. And this stone shall I have set up as a pillar with Yahweh's house. And of all that thou dost give me, I will surely give a tenth to thee. So Jacob makes a promise, right? Uh, to Yahweh and says, if you're going to do that, when I'm going to do this, even, even down to that, he basically saying, hey, I'm going to pay tithes. I'm going to give a tenth of what I got uh, as well. Now, from this point, we, we know that Jacob found Laban. Laban was always like kind of uh, sideways dealing with him. You know, he's telling him one thing, then he would, you know, give him the wrong daughter. Uh, and then he would like, he's changing his wages and all these kind of things. And, and, but, but Jacob in this story, he's like doing something with reeds and trying to get the, the, the goats and the sheep to, to do this over here, which maybe, just, maybe I don't know if that's really had the spirit of, of the deal they made. I don't, you know, it's, there's a lot of odd things. And then his two wives, you know, they, they're still in the idols, right? So you, you feel like, when I read this, I feel like Jacob's, don't be wrong, Jacob's a great guy. But does he, he doesn't necessarily have his house 100% in order if his wives are taking idols, right? So you go, you go through that and it reminds us as we read this story and the story of Laban and how Jacob maybe didn't 100% feel his, fulfill his commitment at that time in his place. People sometimes don't live up to the expectations of what we have for them or the promises they make or the things that they do. And maybe, maybe that person is, is us. Like, we're, like, man, we could have done that. We should have done that. We could have done that. But notice that Yahweh always does. Yahweh always comes through. He always lives up to his part of the bargain. And he ultimately did. When you look at 35, when Jacob got right and he said, hey, no more idols. Give me all of them. I'm throwing them away. Then bam. He was able to go do all the things that Yahweh had in store for him. And there's a lot of backstory, of, of course, in that. But I want to, uh, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Listen, Yahweh is merciful. And what makes our hope so great is we know he is Elohim that gives second chances. He is the Elohim of second chances. He is the Elohim of new beginnings. But he does require something. Just like the lady who came to Yahshua, he said, that uh, was caught in adultery. He said, go and sin no more. He didn't just say you're forgiven, go. He said, go and sin no more. So we may find ourselves in a place that's not wonderful, but we can accept Yahshua and turn and start following in a new way, in a new path, you know, but we can't stay in our current condition. Just like Jacob didn't just keep allowing all his, his people to have idols. He changed and stopped and said, stop this. Give me these idols. We're burying, we're burying them under this big oak tree. 
I think that's something that we each have the ability to do. It's not, it's not easy because obviously today we, the, we don't worship idols as far as maybe they, the idols they're talking about, like this object that they're hiding under their camel saddles or whatever. But we all have idols that, that we have in our lives. That there's something, you know, for each of us, they're probably different. But this, the whole book of the scriptures is Yahweh saying, you're worth it. You're worth sacrifice. You're worth all of a sudden. You, he, he thought so highly of all of us that he sent his only begotten son to die for our sins, right? So we have to ask ourselves as heads of our households and fathers, it's like, do we think enough of our own family to do what Jacob did? To take out the idols, get the junk out of our houses? Yahweh says, he, he thinks that highly of us, but do we think that highly of our own self and our own families? Can we put our own past behind and move on in a way that it's impactful? <clears throat> you know why people come, I feel like people come to the church, they come to the assembly, they do this, they follow, they try to follow in the footsteps. A lot of times, in my opinion, because the fathers do, because the fathers come to church. So when you, no disrespect to any of the mothers out there or anything like that, you guys are wonderful. So no disrespect, I don't wanna get to, and I'm fixing to make a blanket statement. So, and blanket statements are always wrong. You know, they might be mostly right, but they're not. So the reason most families come to church is because the dad does. So there's a statistic out there that says, the kids will come to church, if the mom goes to church, 45% of the children will also go to church. But if the dad will go to church, 95% of the time, the kids will go to church. That's pretty revealing to me. And I wanna say it one more time, no disrespect, it's just, you know, hey, they started back in Adam, I mean, back in the day of Adam, you always said, you're the head of the household. I mean, I know it's, it's but I, I'm gonna make up for it later because we're fixing to talk about Deborah. So that's a great story. <clears throat> Romans 8.31 says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If Yahweh is for us, who can stand, who can be against us? Listen, it's hard to not be double-minded, but a house divided can't stand. So as fathers, we have to take up our position and push and do whatever it takes to change our future for our families. Like I said earlier, Yahweh thinks we're worth it, but we gotta ask ourselves, are we worth it? We cannot let our past low points, our past downfalls, our past, you know, whatever, we can't let that dictate our future. Our future is too bright. And our future, if you're, if you're an adult, your future, you're not just impacting your future, you're impacting generational futures. Luke 9, 62 says, And Yahshua said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of Yahweh. When I read this, in my mind, this is a call to action. This is a call to action. Yahshua is saying, Hey, 
Yeah, start tilling the ground, but don't stop tilling the ground. He's saying we need dedication. Have you ever tried to run a race looking behind you? I mean, I'm slow anyway. And when I run looking behind me, I get really slow. And, but you see, you see little kids do it. We all have little kids. You see little kids do it. They're, you're chasing them and the whole time they're looking at you and then bam, they hit a wall. That's kind of what, that's how I, I look at it when I'm looking at this, put your hand to the plow and don't look back. Like it's not good things happen when we take off in this direction and then we're looking back the whole time. Like, oh man, that looks fun over there. You know, we're going to hit a wall. All right, so I promised you guys the story of Deborah to make up for that earlier stuff. But if you would turn to chapter four in Judges. So um, before, before we get too deep into this, uh, so my uncle, so my uncle Jerry, uh, Pastor Jerry over in Eastland, he wrote this pamphlet that says, why did you stay among the sheep pens? And I'm not really sure how I got this, but it was been in my office for a while and it was just been there. I mean, it's been like probably a year. It's been just kind of laying around. So one day, took some initiative, it happens, and I picked up this pamphlet and I read it. And I was, I was very, it really like, 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 you know, spoke to me, you know? I was like, man, I never even really even read this. Why did you stay among the sheep pens? Okay, so what I'm gonna do today, and that's so what I talked to, I talked to Pastor Jerry before I stole all his material. I was like, I was like, hey, I'm just, do you care if I talk to you about what you wrote in there? And he's like, you know, of course he's like, yeah, go for it. Yeah, that's awesome, you know. Uh, so thanks to that. But uh, when I was, when I, anyway, so uh, I, stole his, I stole his stuff. And it's kind of like, you know, when you read a good book, I'm just going <clears> to, <throat> the version I'm going to, kind of do today is, is going to be like that time where you read the book and everybody else watched the movie and everybody's like, oh, hey, the book's way better than the movie. The book's way better than the movie. Well, this is the movie version. You should get the book and look at it because it, it's, it's, it's a good pamphlet. And uh, anyway, if you want this, ask me and you can, I'll, you can, I'll loan it out to you. Uh, but anyway, it really spoke to me. So um, what we're going to read about is is Deborah. So the, you know, the children of Israel were constantly getting put into captivity uh, and they were all constantly kind of messing up and going to captivity anyway. So if you would turn to Judges 4, verse 6 through 9, we'll, we'll read real quick here. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinom, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. And I will draw out to you Caesarea, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river of Kishon, and I will give, give him into your hand. Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And, and Deborah said, 
I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. For Yahweh will sell Caesarea into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Okay, so we're not going to have time to read like this whole story because you kind of got to read chapter four and and chapter five of Judges. So I'm just going to kind of tell you what's going on here. So for like... So for like 20 years, the children have been crying out for Yahweh to save them. They've been in captivity, right? And then, uh, so Yahweh speaks to, to Deborah. Deborah is, comes down here to Barak, probably saying his name wrong. I don't want me to in, insult him by calling him Barak, but that's the way I say his name. Uh, but so Deborah comes to this guy and just, just it's kind of strange what, what this guy says, this Barak guy, because, and, and it speaks to the stature and how amazing this Deborah was. She was counted among the 12, you know, the judges there. So, so Deborah is telling him, hey, Yahweh is going to give this Canaanite army into your hands. You need to get 10,000 soldiers from these two tribes and go meet him. And Yahweh's going to put him in your hands. And this leader who, I mean, if you're a hand-to-hand combat fighting guy like this Barak was, like, I mean, you're fight, they, when they fought then, it was like hand-to-hand combat. I mean, seems to me you're kind of a man's man. Like that hand-to-hand is just a little different than, you know, shooting somebody from way over there. It's just a different world, right? So, but what he says was, so Barak, but what Barak tells Deborah is he goes, now he's listening and, he, and Deborah goes, Yahweh um, said he's going to give them to your hands. You just need to go. And he goes, I'll go if you go with me. Like he didn't say, well, Yahweh said to do that. I'm doing it. Anyway, I found that just a little odd. Like he goes, you come and I'll go, but if you don't come, I'm not going. Which maybe is why Deborah, just two verses or three verses down, says, hey, the the glory of this battle is not going to you. It's going to this woman who you read about later on. You know, she's out at this camp. Caesarean, he's exhausted. He's running for his life because the Israeli army is winning. And he comes running by this tent. She brings him in. He asks her for some water. He's exhausted, right? Hand-to-hand combat. And he comes in and she, you know, gets him milk, does all this thing, gets done. He lays down, goes to sleep. She puts a tent peg through his head. Like, that's pretty crazy. But, and she got the, she got the glory for it, just as Deborah had said. But anyway, so when we're going through this, <clears throat> And you should read this on your own time. So I'm going I'm to skip it. So that's kind of the story in chapter four. And then in chapter five, Deborah has this song, right? And it's a song, but it's basically a song of the events that happened in chapter four. And she's, and she's kind of calling out uh, the tribes of Israel by saying, hey, uh, Naphtali, you were over there, like staying over with your sheep. And, and you were like, deciding what to do over there, Dan. And you, you know, so all these tribes that were supposed to come and, and fight and battle, they didn't, they didn't really show up. So anyway, I'm getting way, I'm getting way ahead of myself. <clears throat> okay, so let's read in chapter five and, and note this is kind of like a, a song and it's kind of like Deborah, Deborah's history of the events that happened in four, but I want, uh, I want to jump down and read 
Um, this thing says read 16 to 18. Okay, I want to read chapter, on chapter 5, if you turn to verse 16, Judges 5, verse 16. It's the, it's the scripture that spoke to me. And I think that this, that, you know, the pamphlet was kind of based on, and maybe it speaks to you, but it says, and this is Deborah kind of calling out the tribes of Israel for not battling. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the popping for the flocks? Among the divisions of Reuben, there was great searching of heart. Gilead remained across the Jordan. And why did Dan stay in ships? Asher sat at the seashore and remained by its landings. Anyway, and it goes on, it goes on kind of in the same, in the same context. But she's basically saying, like, how many does it take to watch the sheep pens? Okay, there's a battle out there. There's a battle that we got to fight. And you guys are back at the, Back at the sheep ends, you know, oh, I'm going to just keep an eye on this. We don't want this to go bad. And we'll let somebody else, you know, go out and battle. And that spoke to me because I've been, I've, I mean, I've been the, I mean, I have goats. I know how it is. When she says, when she says to hear the popping of the flocks. So if you have flocks, if you have piping and you feed them at all, every time you walk out there, those goats are just like, I don't know what they're saying, but I'm pretty sure it's I'm hungry. And, you know, so you kind of, it kind of resonates with you. And I have found myself a lot of times wanting to stay in the sheep pens. And I've got all kinds of excuses on why I want to do that. But it goes back to the thing that Jacob did when he stood up and he said, hey, give me all your idols. We're done with this. And he shrugged all that off and he started anew. And we all have the ability to start anew. But to do that, we have to kind of be like David. You know, David, he was a shepherd. He was out there and he was with his sheep. But when something came and got one of his sheep, he didn't stay there with the, well, you know, that's only one. I'm just gonna stay right here. Yahshua even speaks about it, right? He left, there's a time to leave the sheep and go do what we gotta do to build salvation and to protect our families and to lead our families. First Corinthians 13 and 11 says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For us to lead, for us to lead, it's a very, it's a very personal thing. And for us to, to be an example to our family, it's a very personal thing. And you have to make a conscious decision that, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And it, it doesn't, I mean, we all, have, we all have warts. You can't go through life and not have warts, and not have low points, and not have, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But let me tell you, your family is counting on you to do what you were set up to do. You're the leader. I mean, I think all of us from time to time wish, like, we weren't the leader, but sometimes in a family situation, hey, you are, whether you want to be or not. So we have to all ask ourselves the question, is that, are those little two-eyed tractor engines, are they worth it? I think we'll all to a man say, heck yeah, 
They're worth it. So Isaiah 44, verse 21 says, remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you, you are my servant, Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. When I read that scripture in, in Isaiah 44, uh, I'm, I noticed that it doesn't say, Israel, you were perfect. It says, hey, I took away your sins. I removed them like a mist. Return to me. I've redeemed you. He's redeemed us. Well, we can put together. Remember, we can put our past behind us. Remember, we serve an Elohim who's merciful, who overlooks our shortcomings and loves us so much that he sent someone for that sole purpose. Because the only way sin can be annihilated is by the shedding of blood. So he sent Yahshua to cover those shortcomings. <clears throat> you know, in the, in the beginning, Yahweh created this big whole world that we call earth. And, you know, you'll hear people talk about, I wonder, you know, what was before earth, blah, blah, blah. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Like, I don't know. When Yahweh spoke the world into existence, anything before that moment doesn't matter. It's kind of like our past. When we accept Yahshua and we start, we turn from our sins and we start living a different direction, forget the past. We've all got one. We've all got warts. So I want us today to not look at our past, but I want us to think about the new beginnings. Now, of course, your past is going to in some way mold how you, how you go in the future, you know. But let it mold you in a way where you know things, know know how to avoid things and go through things, let it, let it mold you in a way where you can reach out and help someone else. Because I know we all need help. I know I do. <clears throat> we all have the ability to learn from our mistakes and we all have the ability and the calling to be better people. John 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you in a little while. The world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You always will live. On the day you will know that I'm in my Father and you are in me and I'm in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. So I'm gonna leave you with one last thought before it gets too long-winded. <clears throat> As humans, we all have this void inside us. And, and you can look around the world and you can see all these people doing all these different things. And everybody is searching for the same thing. They're trying to figure out how do we feel this void? And it's hard to explain, but it's inside us. We know there's something more. There's this void. And people try to put fame in that void. They try to put you know, uh, money in that void. They try to put anything and everything to fill that void. 
But the only thing that's going to fill that void is a relationship with Yahweh and acceptance of his salvation through Yeshua. That's the only thing that fills it. Because if you want to be whole, if you want to truly be happy, you've got to accept that. So don't let the shortcomings of yesterday affect you or stop you from filling that void. Because we all got to get to a point where it's full. We got it. That's, that's all I have. I appreciate your kind attention. Thank you.